It's uh, really an honor to be here. I'm very, very grateful. As we were singing, I was just reminded of this similar occasion 29 years ago. A few of you old-timers were there. Otto Eck, I think, was there. Harold Enns was certainly there. And a few others. Thank you. No problem. Great. These consultations uh, are markers in our lives. They are used by God. I'm going to make a few references to mission consultations. The consultation in Curitiba, 1988, 29 years ago. One of the markers that that consultation left in my life was just a profound love for the Mennonite Brethren family. One of so many families that God is using around the world. But I'm thankful for the family that he placed me in. And I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful that you're here. It's not a coincidence. It's not by mistake. And I believe God wants to... Um, Increase our love for him, increase our love for his family, and increase our love for the nations. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, please, to the book of John, chapter 4. The biblical text will be up on the screen tonight, but uh, in case you want to follow, feel free to, to join me. Friends, in our lives... There are realities that are incredibly important, and we don't often see them at first sight. There are realities that are incredibly important, and we don't notice them. Some examples. When we read the book of Revelation, what amazing spiritual activity is going on in the heavenly realms which impacts our lives here on earth, but which we do not see with our natural eyes. I can imagine there are some angels in this room. We don't see them, but we feel their presence and we sense the impact of this spiritual reality. In 2 Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha's servant could only see the Syrian army surrounding their town. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There are spiritual realities we do not perceive unless the sovereign Lord of the universe opens our eyes. John 4, Jesus and the disciples were returning from Judea to Galilee. They were tired and hungry, and so they stopped in Samaria. Jesus rested, and the disciples went after lunch. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The Samaritan woman saw only a tired Jewish man. Jesus saw an opportunity for a life-transforming conversation which would lead to salvation coming to a lost village. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, please eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Hmm, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Do you, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labors. The disciples saw only a hungry master, but Jesus perceived a perfect moment to reveal some truths about spiritual harvest, such as had just happened with the Samaritan woman and her people. The harvest is often where we least expect it. The harvest is often where we least expect it. For the disciples, it was in despised Samaria. For us, it may be in some despised region or among some despised people group, at least in the eyes of the world. The harvest is often through whom we least expect, in this case through a marginalized woman to her entire village. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he did stay two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. A few months ago, I was in Cali, Colombia. And there I heard about a ministry connected with the Mennonite Brethren churches. And the ministry is called Cruising for Jesus. Cruising for Jesus. Actually, I had heard about this ministry in California. This ministry was begun by a converted motorcycle gang member named Horacio. This ministry reaches out to bikers, the heavy kind, drug users, and other marginalized people. When I was there a few months ago, they had six churches going. I just spoke with my good friend Virgilino, and he says, actually, there's nine now. 
It's a growing ministry. Virgilino, are you here in our midst? Would you, are you wearing that Cruising for Jesus t-shirt tonight? <laughs> okay. The harvest is often through whom we least expect. Horacio. Would you invite Horacio to give the message in your church Sunday morning? I hope so. God uses all kinds of people. The harvest includes both sowing and reaping. We must do both, friends, and trust the Lord of the harvest for results. We do well to remember, even from our daily experience, that effective harvest goes beyond cutting and gathering grain. Most of us, when we need some bread, we don't go to a field that is ripe or to a storehouse of grains. We go to a market, a store. The harvest also includes gathering the grain, milling it into flour, baking it into bread, distributing it, distributing it to the consumer, and probably another few steps in between. And the same is true for the spiritual harvest. It must go beyond evangelism to gathering, to discipling, to training, and to sending, as we saw this morning in the mission strategy map. I want to direct our attention now to a bigger picture. We're going to look at some macro, uh, or consider some macro thoughts of the harvest, and then we're going to bring it back down to our context. Let us further see the global mission harvest and look for what is not so obvious at the first sight. Seeing the past harvest from the coastlands to the people groups, a sweep through a couple hundred years of mission history. We're going to limit our review to the modern period of missions, so-called modern period. Uh, it's well to mention the Catholic Church has been active in missions since the 16th century. Some Orthodox were very active in uh, Russia and Eastern Europe. Uh, tonight, we'll just focus on the Protestant body of missions in the last 225 years, which is probably the group as Mennonite Brethren that we most closely uh, sense a uh, affinity with. The first period of expansion we could call denominational missions to the continental coastlands, 1792 to 1865. By 1792, Protestant harvesting had been limited mainly to biological growth in Europe and colonial growth in North America and to a lesser extent Australia. Intentional missionary efforts were being conducted only by the Danish Halle mission in India and the Moravians in the Americas and to, in Africa. A breakthrough came with William Carey, Baptist missionary and the formation of the Baptist Missionary Society. 1792. Many other denominational missions were established during this period beginning in 1792. Due to the challenges of travel, communications, and provisions, the harvest during this period of time was limited mainly to coastal regions 
and some of the islands. You can see it on the map. Coastal regions, a little bit here. Not showing up on the map quite as well. We'll get that, uh, we'll get some other maps that'll show that more clearly. Um, I also want to say that it was during this period that the Mennonite Brethren Church was born. By the time our church was born in 1860, a global harvest was beginning. So here we can see, let's go to the next map. So here we can see uh, some of the coast, coastal regions, India, or Africa, India, uh, China to some extent, Australia, very limited penetration of the gospel into the hinterland regions. A second period, denomination, or rather interdenominational missions to the continental islands, 1865 to 1910. A new harvest season began when Hudson Taylor, serving in China, received the vision for the masses of the unevangelized in the inland regions. By 1865, he had established the China Inland Mission, later called Overseas Missionary Fellowship, now called OMF International, very active, very present here in Thailand, one of our partners in the gospel. The new focus was on the inland regions, and another focus during this period was the recruitment of ordinary workers without extensive theological studies. As a result of this new approach, vast unevangelized regions received the gospel, such as we see in the map of 1910. You can see the spaces filling in. Oh, we went too far. One, there we go. Okay, so you can see the inland regions. India, China, Eastern Europe, virtually all of Australia. The gospel was penetrating farther and farther geographically. Examples of these new missions include the Africa Inland Mission, and among Mennonites, the Congo Inland Mission, today called Africa Inter-Mennonite Mission, also one of our partners. Third period, evangelical missions to the countries of the world, 1910 to 1966. This period was bracketed by two global mission consultations, Edinburgh in Scotland, 1910, and the first Billy Graham-sponsored evangelization conference of 1966 in Berlin, in Germany. These mission consultations have an effect, not just on individuals, but on the movement that God operates among his people when they gather to pray, to consult, to seek the Lord. What's the next step for the harvest? The missionary focus during this period narrowed even more from inland regions to individual countries. As mainline Protestant missions declined, evangelical missions led the way to either target or enter virtually every country on earth. 
such as we see in this map of 1966. The Mennonite Brethren were part of this missionary movement among evangelicals, entering at least 12 new countries during this period, such as China in 1911 and Panama in 1958. That was a period of rapid growth and expansion in our own family. The fourth period that I'll refer to tonight is the current period. Global missions to the peoples of the world, beginning 1966. Previous to this period, a number of ministries were already focused on ethnic and linguistic people groups, such as Bible societies, gospel radio ministries. However, in 1974, at yet another mission consultation, this time in Lausanne, Switzerland, a little old gentleman by the name of Ralph Winter pleaded with mission agencies to give greatest attention to what he called the hidden peoples, the thousands of ethnic, linguistic people groups without any gospel witness or without an indigenous church strong enough to reach their own people group. Hidden peoples, also called the least reached or the unreached. Now, with missionaries coming from all over the world, we are focused more than ever on reaching these ethne, the Greek word for the nations referred to by our Lord. I want to look a little closer at this idea of the nations. When the God, our Father, Yahweh, promised Abraham that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him, what kind of nations was he referring to? He was referring to people groups, not to geopolitical nations. When Jesus promised that the gospel would be preached to all nations, and then the end would come, he was referring to people groups. When he commissioned his disciples to make disciples of all nations, he was referring to people groups. And finally, in John's revelation of the nations worshiping the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, it is a vision of all people groups. These are the fundamental units cited in Scripture in God's missional plan. Let's run a, a brief video uh, of, a, of one mission agency that illustrates the people group concept this way. told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population What is a UPG? 
UPG stands for Unreached People Group. But to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non-Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb People, tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta Ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross-cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today okay, as immigrants. Thank you. Unreached people groups. Statistics can be not always inspiring. Let's just remember behind each one of those numbers, there is a face, a body, a soul, a family, a person for whom our Lord died. Both through missions and migrations, the Lord of the harvest has spread our own church far and wide to five continents, dozens of countries, and many more people groups. One of our own elders, patriarchs, a mentor to some of us, J.B. Taves, was convinced that God had raised up this family, this tribe, to be a missionary movement not only among other Anabaptist denominations, but together with other evangelicals for the reaching of the masses of lost people and unreached people groups. Today, tonight, this week, is an opportune moment to ask, how are we all doing in this divine missionary calling? Seeing the present harvest, the status of Christian mission today, the 20th century has seen tremendous missional advances 
and we do well to simply say, thank you, God. You are accomplishing your mission. The church in the global south and the global east is joining the church in the north and the west as global partners in the gospel. In many countries of the global south, there are more practicing Christians than in the countries of the global north. Brazil is a country dear to my heart, as is Canada, where I live now. Brazil, global south, 25% of the population of Brazil is evangelical and for the most part practicing evangelical. Canada, 8%, only 8 Friends, we need help in Canada. We need help in North America. Pray for us, and if God calls, come and help us. The scriptures have been translated, at least partially, into 3,200 languages. The gospel presentation in the Jesus film has been seen by billions in 1,460 languages, and 2.2 billion people can now access a variety of Christian programming every day via the media of radio, television, and the internet. So dare we ask then, what is the status of the gospel being received in the world today? We can and we must ask this big question. The size of the question, however, and the task remaining leads us to use smaller categories in order to grasp some of these big ideas. Missiologists divide the world into three categories. They must be preachers. They've got three points. C, world C, world B, world A. Let's see another video with some visual aids to understand this notion of three worlds in which we live and the relevance for the gospel. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. 
Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? We don't want to talk about finances quite yet. Friends, do you see something wrong with this picture? 3% of the total worldwide missionary force focused on world A. There are, let's be clear, there are many other unreached people groups or, or least reached people groups that live in countries perhaps considered reached or at least Christianized. Some examples. The Democratic Republic of Congo and Angola are nominally at least very Christianized countries, but there are tens of thousands of Chinese who are moving to Africa, and they're living among the Africans, and they are virtually unreached. Let us pray that our friends who are in Chinese churches, be they in Canada, be they in China, be they elsewhere, will get the vision to reach their people in, in uh, Africa, but also let us pray that our African friends will grow in that vision. The Arabs in South America are, for the most part, unreached. The Kurds of Germany, the Punjabis of Canada, these are often the hidden peoples in countries considered Christianized. Do you know who they are and where they are in your country. Furthermore, by focusing today on unreached people groups, we are not saying they are more lost or more important to reach than the urban poor or the post-Christian secularists or children and youth in Christianized societies or anyone else who is lost. When Jesus said, God so loved the world, all persons and peoples are included. However, it seems to me it's fair to ask, is it right that some are able to hear the gospel every day while so many others have not even heard the gospel or the name of Jesus once? I presented a macro view of the status of the gospel in our world, but we must also ask, what is the status of our own family of faith the Mennonite Brethren in Christian Mission today. And I want to show you a map which has been somewhat revised, updated. The green countries refer to 
regions where we have established organized Mennonite Brethren conferences, dark green or light green. We are in 18 countries among these conferences. Furthermore, we have pioneer work or emerging conferences or networks in at least another 20 countries. And we're so grateful that many of you are representing those networks and emerging conferences and you're here tonight. Welcome. More importantly, we are increasingly aware that our call as a global Mennonite Brethren family is not so much to geopolitical countries, but to ethnic and linguistic people groups, the nations referred to by our Lord and throughout Scripture. Since the first MB mission consultation in Curitiba, 1988, our own mission agency has sent or supported workers in no less than 20 unreached people groups from the Kamu in northern Thailand and in Laos, to Arab peoples in North Africa, to Punjabi peoples in North India, and we could cite many other examples. However, the Lord of the harvest is stirring Mennonite brethren all over the world to see the harvest, to pray for workers, and to send out the workers. Today we rejoice that our global family is catching this vision. May it grow. May it continue, a vision for reaching the unreached people groups in our different contexts. Just a few very quick um, images of some of the work that you, brothers and sisters from countries around the world, are doing. Our friends in Paraguay, for many, many years, have been reaching out to the Nivakle indigenous group. Our friends in the DR Congo, we heard this morning, are reaching out to the Batwa and also have a vision to reach the Chinese in their own country. Our friends from Japan have sent missionaries here to Thailand, two couples. Our friends from Brazil are reaching out to the Manjak indigenous group in Western Africa, Senegal, Guinea-Bissau. Our friends in Germany are reaching out to Arabs and to Persians. Our friends from India, we have heard these days, have sent a missionary to Myanmar. And our friends in Colombia and Panama are partnering together to reach an unreached group in the Choco region of Colombia. These are seeds. May they grow. May the vision grow. May we get on board this move of the Holy Spirit in our particular mission family. Seeing the future harvest, a compelling vision. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth 
and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, and he is called the God of all the earth. Can I hear an amen? amen. Isaiah prophesies a future harvest for the people of God. If there was a fulfillment for the old Israel, Old Testament, it was at best partial. The greater fulfillment will come through the new Israel, the church of God. May many children shall be born. Enlarge the tent. Stretch the curtains. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. You shall possess the nations. Jesus said, I have other sheep. Peter, the born-again Jew, through a compelling vision from the Holy Spirit, spoke the word of God to Cornelius and thus burst open the door to the Gentile nations. Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And finally, there is the revelation given to John. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. Join me in reading the song of the angels. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If Peter's vision to go to the house of Cornelius was compelling, I call on this gathering to let this vision, this vision from our Lord to compel us to the nations. Four times in the Revelation, this universal peoplehood of nations, tribes, peoples, and languages is cited. Chapter 5, verse 9, they've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 14, verse 6, the eternal gospel is proclaimed to them. Chapter 13, verse 7, they must battle the beast called Antichrist. And in the passage we just read, they stand before the throne, overcomers, victorious, in holy worship of their creator and redeemer. This is where God's salvation story is going. And this is where we must go. I trust you will be there, my friend. I trust your people group will be there. And I trust there will be many more tribes there because the tribe called Mennonite Brethren was faithful to our call to be a missionary people. Can I get an amen to that? May it be. Seeing the MB Church in the harvest, what is in your hand? Truth be told, in the world's eyes and in some of our own eyes, we are so small, too small to accomplish much. Some have seen Mennonites in general as the quiet in the land. Indeed, we are a people of peace. Let us celebrate and embrace that call. It does this mean that we do not wage war with the enemy of our souls 
and for the souls and bodies of those for whom our Lord died, let us imitate Christ. He was meek, but not weak. He was the Son of Man, yes, a human man, yet filled with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. He was the Lamb who was slain, but he is the Lion who conquers, the suffering servant, and yet triumphant King. Recall from where we have come. Remember who has called us. Faithful is he who has called us, and he will also do it. Someday I'd love to write a book on a theology of smallness. God loves to show his greatness through our smallness. He loves little people. God loves little people. God loves little churches. God loves little things. Because through these little ones, his greatness is shown and his glory is revealed. There is a theology of smallness throughout Scripture. Who did God choose to be the father of many nations? Abraham, a little old man with a little old wife who was also childless. Which army did God choose to defeat the Philistines? Gideons, but only after reduction from 32,000 to 300. Who did God choose to save Israel from extinction? Esther, a poor refugee girl who became a queen. Who did God choose to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Mary, a peasant teenager from Nazareth. Remember what Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Oh, yes. And who did Jesus choose to turn the world upside down through the preaching of the gospel? Anything but a dream team, rather a motley crew of disciples made up of fishermen, tax collectors, and revolutionaries. God chooses the small things to confound the wise and to reveal his greatness and his glory. I'd like to invite my good friend Jean-Claude to come up here now to share a story of God's greatness through human smallness. Pray for my good brother Jean-Claude. He is carrying a heavy load from Angola. He has a difficult road ahead to lead the conference to unity, to health, to a vision for expansion. And yet, uh, God has honored him in so many ways. And he's uh, a dear friend, been in your home. Glad you're here, brother. Please, tell us a story. Boa tarde, queridos irmãos. Boa noite. Good evening, dear friends. É uma alegria contar uma pequena história em dois minutos. It's a joy for me to tell a small story in just a couple of minutes. Acerca da missão. Concerning mission. O que Deus meteu nas minhas mãos. What God put into my hands. Como servo. 
as a servant y como mi pequeña familia with my small family para ayudar a obra de Dios to help the work of God. E nós estamos a trabalhar em Malange, numa província dentro de Angola. We are living and working in a province in the interior of Angola chamada er uh, called Malange. E neste momento fomos numa área onde Realmente muita gente também refugiado, deslocado que fugia a guerra. So we discovered a region where there is just a tremendous mass of refugees and people who are are dispossessed and uh, oppressed in many ways. E naquela área não tem nenhuma condição, não tem igreja, não tem posto médico, não tem escola, não tem nada. It's a typical refugee situation. Uh, little infrastructure, schools, roads, it's just a serious, miserable situation. Mas famílias com muitas crianças. Families with many children. E nós iniciamos a criar condições para termos uma escola, ajudar as crianças para estudar. And so God put in our hearts to begin a school there in that refugee camp. E essas crianças estão estudando nessas condições. The children are, are studying kind of one on top of each other. Não tem carteiras. There's no chairs. Não tem muitas salas em condições. There's not decent uh, school rooms. Mas é uma alegria para nós e para o, os pais ver pelo menos as crianças estudar. But there's joy in their parents and also in our, our hearts because children are studying. O governo gostou e foi lá nos apoiar com pequenos materiais para as crianças estudar. The, the government was pleased with this initiative and uh, gave us also some assistance. E depois de um ano, então, e começou agora uma grande igreja que já tem cerca de 300 e tal membros. So after a year of working with the children and their families, we started a church. And there's a church there now with about 300 members. E para além da escola e igreja e conseguimos aí também por um pequeno posto médico que está a ajudar o povo o povo para tratar malária aqueles doenças da África. So beyond the school and the church, we also started a a simple medical clinic that helps them with uh, some of the tropical diseases, malaria, and other kinds of uh, maladies that affect them. Usamos o que Deus nos deu. We are using what God gave us to place this at the uh, benefit of the community. And God is being glorified in this uh, small action. Thank you very much. Okay. My friends, let no one say we are too small. Let no one say we are too poor. Let no one say we are too young. God has placed us strategically for the harvest. We live in the right countries. We have both the scriptures and other tools to communicate the word of God. Our global family has godly and God-gifted leaders. We have training we have skills, we have lots of technology and technicians. We have either an abundance of funding or the ability to sustain ourselves while in the harvest. We are not empty-handed. 
we must only trust and obey. To whom much is given, much is also required. Even so, let us remember the words of our Lord, without me, you can do nothing. Briefly to review some of the concepts that we've talked about tonight. Let us see the nations not merely as nation states, but as people groups. There are 200 countries in our world. There are 16,500 nations, according to the biblical definition. Let us not see merely the lost in world C, the Christianized world, and the lost in world B, the evangelized world. But let us also see world A, the world yet to hear, the world of 2 billion people, 29%. One in every four people on this planet have not heard the gospel. They don't even know of the name of Jesus. Let us see. Let us see the 6,000 and 700 hidden, unreached, least-reached people groups, most of which are located in that identifiable area of the world called the 1040 window. Let us also see the other unreached people groups, no less valuable, who are hidden among us in other regions, even in countries where there is a substantial Christian population even a majority. They are not hidden to our Lord. And if we ask him where they are, surely he will show us the way. If you want more information, go to a website called joshuaproject.net. And this provides comprehensive information, more than you will uh, even need for reaching out to some of these unreached people groups. So I ask you tonight, does your conference, does your network, does your local church need a vision? I say we already have it. It's in the scriptures. A prophecy of a large tent, Isaiah 54. A Jesus flock with other sheep, John 10. An apostolic model of reaching to regions beyond. And a throne room vision of every nation, tribe, people, and language. Revelation 7. Shall we say with Paul, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven? Rather, let us say, King Jesus, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Let us rise up, friends, with the church worldwide to meet this challenge and in the words of another mission consultation, Cape Town, in the words of the Cape Town commitment, let us, would you read together with me? Repent of our blindness to the continuing presence of so many unreached peoples in our world and our lack of urgency in sharing the gospel among them. Renew our commitment to go to those who have not yet heard the gospel, to engage deeply with their language and culture, to live the gospel among them with incarnational love and sacrificial service, to communicate the light and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ in word and deed 
awakening them through the Holy Spirit's power to the surprising grace of God. Friends, let us see beyond the culturally obvious. Who are the Samaritans around us? Who are the marginalized women and men that Jesus would like to converse with through us? Let us see beyond Jerusalem. Who are the people groups outside of your immediate comfort zone? In Judea and Samaria that are definitely within reach and are ripe for the harvest. And what about those whom the Lord of the harvest has brought to you? Such as immigrants and refugees and international students and businessmen. Indeed, traditionally, the call to mission has had the slogan, pray, give, and go. So true. Let us underline each one. Pray, give, go. And let us also understand with the new reality of God moving peoples around for his purposes, we must now also include a call to welcome. Welcome to our country. Welcome to our community. We will serve you. We will love you. We will show you Jesus. Pray, give, go, and welcome. Let us see beyond Samaria, beyond our geographical and cultural borders to the ends of the earth. I'm here because my widowed grandmother courageously chose to emigrate to the ends of the earth for her, for a better life for her children and grandchildren. Some of you are here because some missionary chose courageously to cross land and sea to bring the gospel to your unreached people group. Is God calling you to go to the ends of the earth? Is God calling you to mobilize workers for a distant harvest field or one nearby that is now ripe for the reaping? Is God calling you to consider adopting an unreached people group, near or far, or perhaps adopting another one if you've already engaged one. And so with Elisha, we pray, oh Lord, open his eyes that we may see the world as you see it. And with Jesus, we pray, Lord of the harvest, let us see what we have in our hands and send forth more workers into your harvest field. I'm going to invite you to stand, friends. I'd like to ask that we respond to the Lord in prayer. And first of all, I just ask you to remain alone before the Lord. The Cape Town commitment calls us to repent. Let us repent of our blindness to the continuing presence of so many unreached peoples in our world and our lack of urgency in sharing the gospel among them. Let us pray.
Father, we do repent. We are saddened, oh God, that there are still thousands and thousands of people groups. Within each people group, hundreds, thousands, perhaps millions, they don't know the name of our Lord Jesus. That's unacceptable, Lord. Forgive us. And create in us, Lord, a sense of urgency, a passion, Lord, an earnest desire to do our part in working with you to reach the last, the least, and the lost. I'm going to ask you now to gather in groups of two or three and pray Pray that we would see the harvest, see it, that we would see the world as our Lord sees the world, and pray that we would see also what is in our hands, what is the little thing that God has given us, the little resource through which he will show his greatness and his glory and use us, little us, to reach the nations. That was one of nine plenary talks presented at Thailand 2017. We hope you will experience the love and blessing of God through ICOM.